Have you ever found yourself needing to start over? Well, I found myself at that point, a point like that recently, and let me explain what I'm talking about. About 10 years ago, 10 years ago, that seems like a long time ago, but it wasn't that long ago, was it? About 10 years ago, God began working in my heart and speaking to me about the Northeast. Now, that was weird. Because I was a southern boy, as you can tell, most people can still tell that. I think my accent's changed over the seven years that we've been here, but, but uh, most people say no, it hasn't, it's staying. But uh, as, a, as, a, as a guy that grew up my whole life in the south, it was kind of strange that God began to speak to my heart when I was uh, finishing up my seminary training about the northeast. And for about a year or so, Shannon and I, we were happy where we were, we were uh, we were in a great church, much like New Hope, and enjoying ourselves and enjoying life and our church family and ministry and all those kind of things. But, but nevertheless, God was doing something in our heart, so we began praying about that. Then somebody from some place called Schenectady, is that how you pronounce it? I know how to pronounce it now. Schenectady, New York, came to our church. And as soon as I heard New York, there was something about that that grabbed my attention. And, and God began to speak to me about New York, but no, wait just a minute, not about moving there. <laughs> and God began to speak to me about, uh, hey, God's working in New York. God's doing some neat things in New York, and I'm a youth pastor, and we like to go uh, do some different things with churches across the country. So why don't we load up and go and help some churches up in New York, New York with the work that they're doing? But over the course of the next year, God began to take that beyond just a trip that I was going on. And God began to speak surprisingly to me and to Shannon and to call us to come to a whole new place in our lives. God, we were amazed to find out, was calling us to start a church. If you've ever tried something challenging that you've never done before, maybe you can relate to what that was like. But on February 2nd, 2000, my, my wife and my family, the two kids at the time, uh, since then we've had two uh, two kids who are bona fide New Yorkers, but uh, uh, we moved to New York. We moved to Queensbury. And there are so many stories that I could share about what God's done. So much laughter, so much joy, and even some tears that we could share. And we're going to share some of that next week uh, during our anniversary time. But through it all, God has worked mightily. And He has fulfilled His promise that He said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I will build my church. God has started a church here in Queensbury, New York. Let's think for a minute about what God has done. We've gone from two members, that's me and Shannon because our two kids were too young to join. <laughs> they hadn't accepted Christ yet. We've gone from two members to now 180 people who've committed to be a part of this church family. We've seen many people accept Christ and 98 people have publicly declared their faith in Christ through baptism in our church family. We've gone from zero Bible studies and zero ministries to double digits in both those areas. We've gone from a dentist's office to this, at the time at least, huge professional office building that now is way too small. We've gone from 37 people in that very first service seven years ago to now about 250 in three services. We've gone from that very first time that we met together wondering if anybody was going to show up to 51 thousand people in total attendance over these years together as a church family we've gone from almost exclusively being supported financially by outside churches and people partnering with us because we couldn't do it ourselves to now almost exclusively paying for what god does to this church family ourselves 
We've gone from that first year of giving 5000 which was dramatic, $5,000 to missions, to this past year giving over $50,000 to other people around the world who are doing things like we are. And i got to tell you, all I can say is, wow, Lord. Wow. Praise your name. Who would have thought it? Well, well i got to be honest with you. I did. <laughs> I did. I, I believed with all my heart that God was going to do this. But I tell you, even if you believe something with all your heart, it's nice to finally see it happen. Amen? <laughs> it's nice to see that it wasn't just a bunch of dreams. We knew that God was calling us to do this. We knew that He was going to do. We didn't know all that He was going to do. And as I've shared with you many times, I could see your faces... Or I could see your images out there, but the faces weren't clear. And now I look out across this place, and I know the real people that God called us to be here, a part of your lives and for you to be a part of our lives. But as great as all of that is, God began to speak to my heart that it's time for a new day in our story together as a church family. And I want to begin to talk to you about that as we look at the book of Nehemiah today, the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And we're going to look at chapter 1. And I want to share some things with you about how if God were bringing about a new day in our lives, whether it's in our church family or whether it's in your life today. And you know, you can't take that for granted. If God has brought you to this place, that may be the very first time you've ever been to our church family. You may have been here for years, but you are here for a reason today. And maybe God is talking to us about this new start, about new beginnings, about the start of a new day, the beginning of a new day in our lives or in our church family, maybe because He has something specifically to say to your life. So I want us to think about that together today by reading Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And the first thing I want us to see, if a new day were beginning in our lives, as we look at Nehemiah's story, we see that that starts by seeing where things are. By seeing where things are. If you're going to start a new chapter in your life, you've got to first of all understand where you're at at the moment. And it says in Nehemiah 1 verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekelia. Now it happened in the month Kislev in the 20th year while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and who had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. I impressed you with the way I, said, I said, pronounced those words, didn't I? Remember, I've always said about Hebrew words, just say them real fast and nobody will know the difference. You didn't even catch it. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. If you're going to go from where you are now, if we're going to go from where we are now to a new chapter in our lives, to a new day beginning in our lives, we've got to first of all see where we're at right now. Now I want you to understand about Nehemiah, his situation a little bit. About 150 years prior to what we're reading right here, Nehemiah's people or the city of Jerusalem had been ransacked and the Babylonians had taken his people and had overtaken his people and had spread them throughout the known world. They had scattered them throughout the world. They had basically broken up their nation or their people. And then about 100 years before Nehemiah, so about 50 years later, some people, because the Babylonians had been overtaken by the Medes and the Persians, the Medes and the Persians said, okay, some of you people, some of you Israelites, you can go back and you can, you can start working on your little town again. And so they had begun to rebuild just a little bit. And even some people had, had done some, some, some significant work there. About 15, 13, 14, 15 years before Nehemiah, a group of people had went back with a man named Ezra. If you look at your Bible, just before the book of Nehemiah, you see the book of Ezra. Some people had gone back to do some work with Ezra. 
So when Nehemiah had visitors who came to see him, he was real interested in finding out, hey, how's it going? I mean, 150 years ago, things fell apart. Now, obviously, this was before Nehemiah's time. And then 50 years after that, uh, they began to try to bring some things back together again. And then just a few years ago, I've heard that, that Ezra was trying to do some things. So how are things going, guys? When he asked that question, he found out that things weren't going very good. They said, Nehemiah, we've got to tell you, to be honest with you, the few people, and, and, and there, weren't a, there wasn't droves going back, the few people that have gone back to rebuild... And by the way, would you have <laughs> after 150 years of destruction? And wouldn't you want to just kind of separate yourself from all that history? The few people that had gone back to rebuild, though, are not doing well. In fact, the wall and the gates are broken down. They're still burning. They're still, you can still see the, the churning from the fire that happened. And what, he was, what, he, what they were telling him was the primary symbol of security and strength for our city is still broken down. If there was not a wall in ancient times, if there was not a wall around a city, then that basically meant that the city was vulnerable to attack. So everybody knew that old Jerusalem was getting some work done on it. There were some people that had tried to do some things, but it was by no means complete. In fact, the work had barely even gotten started. It really had a long, long way still to go. Can I share something with you, church family? Can I share with you why I believe God led my family to come and to be a part of this church family, to come to this historic foundation-laying area in our country? Do you understand how important the area? Many of you that maybe grew up here, you kind of take things for granted. It's kind of like living beside the Great Escape, you know? People come from all the way across the state to go to the Great Escape, and we think, oh, well, I've been there before. Well, did you know Saratoga? I mean, this area, this, this, the, the North Country is really where our country started. It's a strategic place in the life of this country. Did you realize that even now today, the state of New York has an impact on the whole world? And much of that is related to New York City, but, but even beyond that, our state influences the nation's. The reason I came was because I knew, yeah, I knew that there were some churches here that were doing a, a great job of, of sharing God's Word and, and leading people to a relationship with Christ and helping people to grow in that and helping people to serve Him. But the reality is, it was the case then seven years ago and it's still the case now. There needs to be many, many more churches like that. And I believe by God's grace, thank God, praise His name, He's raised up one here called New Hope. Praise His name. But the work, like Jerusalem, has just begun. Friends, it's not finished by any stretch of the imagination. Did you know that every week there are thousands of people within the realm of influence of this church family under our watch, under our territory, our area that God, the region that God's given to us, who, there are thousands that are facing Monday without any real answers and hope for their lives. There are parents who are trying to raise children. Maybe somebody here today. Maybe you've wandered into this place today saying, God, I'm just looking for some answers. There are parents, there are, there are couples that are saying, we want our marriage to stay together, but you know, we don't have the tools or we just don't. What's missing? There's something. What are they saying? The walls are broken down. We're vulnerable. We, we don't know how to keep this thing together. Did you know, and I think one of our speakers uh, recently, in one of the services, shared that 25% of North America's population lives within a 250-mile radius of Albany, New York. A quarter of the population of North America is within our reach. 
And at the best, conservatively, 90%, some say as much as 98% of the people within that area have never entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that's just in our area. There's a whole world out there with billions of people who need hope, who need help, who need a Savior. Did you know every second two people are going into eternity? By the time this service is over, 6,500 people will have entered into eternity, many of whom do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. You know, we can pause in the middle of the world. We can, we can step back and we can say, God, thank you. And we can applaud. We can say, thank you, Lord. You've been so amazing. We're not complaining, are we? God, thank you for what you've done for us. But I think when we begin to see those things, we begin to see where we are, don't we? There's no time for, for any ending celebration. We can't be blind to the fact that the work has started, but it's just begun. That's always the beginning of change, is being realistic about where we really, truly, currently are. Did you know that's the way it's going to happen in your own life too? If God is doing something, some of you here today, God is stirring in your heart, isn't he? God is doing something fresh in your heart. You know that. And it might even be a little bit scary to you, just like it's scary to us, to what God may want us to do as a church family. I don't know all the answers, but I know God's stirring in my heart. I know God's stirring our church family. And maybe today in your own life, God's stirring and He's doing something in your heart. And that's scary, isn't it? But today, that's where it's going to start is, God, God, help me to see my life. Where am I at right now? Ask yourself those questions. How is my marriage? Really, God? How is my life really going? God, really, how is my relationship? I know I've put some band-aids on. I've done some things to, to make myself feel better about it. I'm reading some books or I'm, take, I'm going to some Bible study. But Lord, no, I mean, when it's down to it, how is my relationship with you? Are you really happy with where you are right now in your life? 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and following says this, though. It doesn't matter how others see your life. It doesn't matter how I see it. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter how you see your life. Who does it matter? It matters how God evaluates my life. And so would you just ask the Lord to search your heart? God, if I'm going to experience what I'm sensing you're doing in my heart, if we're going to experience that as a church family, we really need you, like Psalm 139 says, God, we need you to search our hearts this morning to show us where we honestly, truly are. Are you ready for a new day in the life of our church? I am. Are you ready for a new day in your own life? I am. If you are today, that's going to start by seeing where things are. But it's not enough just to do that. The second thing Nehemiah teaches us is, it's not enough just to see where you're at, but you've got to want it to be different. That's what he says in verses 4 through 11. Now, before we even look at this part, I want to point out something. I want to explain something to you. For me, this is one of the most powerful parts of the book of Nehemiah, the story of Nehemiah. Do you know what life was like for Nehemiah at this point? It was pretty good. In fact, that was an understatement. Nehemiah had it made. If we peek ahead at verse 11, the Bible says Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but the cupbearer to the king was basically, in ancient times, the king would say, hey, listen, I'm not safe with anybody. I mean, even my own family may want to take over my kingdom. And so what I'm going to do is, is you know, I'm going to kind of keep a, a good watch out. And actually, one of the best ways that somebody could take my life is by slipping something poisonous in my food or my drink. Hey, is there any volunteers for somebody that would just taste my food for me just to make sure there's no poison in it? Anybody out there? <laughs> Not many people, right? And if you did pick somebody like that, don't you think you'd pick somebody who was pretty trustworthy? I mean, if he was the guy that wanted your kingdom, then you'd be in trouble, wouldn't you? Sure, it tastes fine. Slip something in there, the king's gone. 
Now, let's bring that down to bottom dollar, literally. Who do you think made one of the best salaries in Persia? Mr. Nehemiah. Mr. Nehemiah was doing just fine, thank you. There were a lot of green reasons for him to just be happy right where he was. He had it good. If it was just about Nehemiah, there is no way that Nehemiah was looking for something new in his life. And he certainly shouldn't have, from a selfish point of view, been concerned about anybody else. As far as I'm concerned, I'm all set. But Nehemiah was not clearly, he was not concerned just about himself. He cared about God. He cared about other people. And because of that, when Nehemiah, I want you to listen to the words of what it says in verse 4 and the verses that follow. When Nehemiah heard how things really were, not in his life, but for the people that he cared about and for his God and his, his God's work in this world, Nehemiah was broken and he desperately wanted it to change. He called out to God for help. Look at what it says in verse 4. He says, When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. Sometimes when you read Scripture, you can just kind of run over things. I sat down. Can't you just see Nehemiah? Man, how's it going over there? How's the work going? How's the rebuilding going? To be honest with you, it's not going very good. In fact, it's pretty pitiful. We can just see Nehemiah's composure just drop. He just had to sit down. It bothered him. It broke his heart. He, how many things have I ever cried about for days in my life? I mourned for days about that. And I was fasting. I was calling out to God in desperation. I was praying before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we, he's including himself here, well, it's not them, but it's us, God. We've sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly. He's just confessing, saying, God, I see where, where I'm at. I see where we're at. And, and it, it's breaking his heart. He says, remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I beseech you, I beg you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name. What was Nehemiah saying? Did you hear what he said in verse 8? He said, God, look, I, I, I'm seeing where we're at. Things are not good, God. But you know what? I seem to remember in your word that you told Moses that this was what was going to happen. If we did not honor you, God, you said this was going to happen. You said that we were going to be scattered. You said that you were going to bring discipline upon our lives and that we were going to be scattered throughout the world. But God, I also remember that you said that it could be different that you could restore us, that you could bring us back together, that you could make us what you wanted us to be. And God, what Nehemiah is doing is he's beginning to claim God's promises in his word. Do you see the heart of a man who wanted things to be different? So much so that it shook him to his core. You know, I found that that's one of the keys to change in anybody's life. If, if your life, if you're not happy with your life right now, if it's not where it needs to be, if, it, if you're not fulfilling the purpose that God has for your life, if you're not finding that for your life, 
and you're tired of that, it's either your life or even as in our lives together as a church family, the first step to change is really recognizing it, but then secondly, wanting it. Have you ever wanted somebody's life to be better more than they did? You ever experienced that? Seeing somebody going through a tough time and you want their life to be better, but they don't yet want their life to be better? What's a good word for that? Impossible. Impossible. There's no way you can change somebody else's life until they get to the point of wanting it to be different themselves. But you know what? Some of us here today are stuck in problems or we're stuck in cycles or we're stuck in situations that we seem to not be able to get out of. But the thing is, what's keeping us there is we like the familiarity of our problem, don't we? Sometimes it's more comfortable to stay in a problem than to trust God to lead us out of it because of the unknown of where God might take us. Can anybody relate to that? Did you know there are some people today, maybe even sitting here this morning, who are in abusive relationships in your life? And I've heard ladies, and I've even heard guys say this before, you know what, it may be a bad relationship, but at least it's what? At least it's a relationship. There are some people that are willing to settle for awful because at least awful is something. But friends, we've got to get to a point in our lives, whether it's our own lives or whether it's our church family, of seeing that God wants us to have better than what we have. He wants us to move forward, and we've got to desire that. You know, as a church, like Nehemiah, he could have reacted like this. I'm all set. I'm doing well. You know, there was a time in our church family where you, I, I, I talk to church planners sometimes and they'll say, Robbie, it's so frustrating. People will come to our church and they have people, they have youth, they have teenagers and they say, boy, we really like your church. We really appreciate how you share God's word and all this kind of stuff, but we're really looking for a place where our youth can have a place to be ministered. And that's fair. That's fair. They say, Robbie, it's so frustrating because we're not there yet. And then somebody comes and they have little children and they, and they say, boy, we're really looking for a place that has a children's ministry and you guys don't have that, so we're going to go somewhere else. You know, I know those days. We know those days. If you've been here long enough, there was a time when we didn't have anything except who? Except God. You know what? God has given us some things, hasn't He? Thank God. We have an incredible children's ministry. Thank God we have an incredible youth ministry. Thank God for our men's and women's ministry and all these things that God has given to us. And you know what? Like Nehemiah, we could say, this is good. I mean, I'm upset. I, I kind of like it. I'm, I'm happy. I've got, I've got the, the basics of kind of what I was looking for. Is that what God started this church for? Was that my goal? Was that your goal? Was that our goal? Was that, more importantly, God's goal? Was just that my needs would be met and that I would be content? i got to be honest with you. If that was my goal, I would have stayed in North Carolina. My needs were being met. I was doing okay. If that was your goal, then if that's our goal together, then, then we can just kind of hang out right where we're at. Did you know that's many Christians' perspective? Many people in church today say, I'm, I'm just kind of fine where I'm at. I'm kind of happy where I'm at. Let's hang out right here. It may be kind of hard for some of you to, to believe this, but you can ask my wife. I don't really like change all that much. I like getting into a groove. I like finding an easy spot and riding it out. I like safe. I like comfortable. I came home the other day and Shannon had changed some furniture around. I got to be honest with you. I was like, 
what was wrong with it before? I mean, you know, it's just, it just changed my world. I mean, I, you know, there's enough things to think about in life. I don't want to think about falling down when I sit on the couch. It's been there for a while, you know. I'm, I'm working on it. I know. I'm not a good husband. That's not good, guys. I don't recommend you follow my example. But I'm giving you an example of my own life. of Change is hard for me. But you know what? I found this out about God's work. First of all, it's not God's will for my life that I stay in one spot. Did you know our God is on the move? He is on the move. Our God is up to something. He is alive. He is active. He is working. Isn't that exciting? He's not a dead God sitting on a mantle somewhere that we worship just some piece of wood or some piece of metal. He is a living, relational God who cares for us and who cares for others. And He loves me too much to let me stay where I am. God says, hey, we've come a long way, baby, but why would you want to stay right there? you got a long ways to go. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1, Paul told the Thessalonians, he said, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God. He's basically saying, we've already taught you some things, just as you actually do. He's saying, and you're, and you're following them. He said, we taught you some things and you're doing those things. But he says, I want you to excel still more. God is on the move and his people are on the move. But even if staying put was okay for my life, God calls me to live a higher level of living than just what's good for me. God calls me to live my life in such a way that it can be better for others too. Can I tell you something? That's why I do what I do. Most of what I do for God, and I could almost say, I think I'd probably say all of what I do, most if not all of what I do for the Lord is out of my comfort zone. But I hope that when my life is over, that more other people's lives will be made better and eternally changed because of me getting uncomfortable for God sometimes. Amen, church family? Nehemiah lived like that. Because of that, he wanted things to be different. I mean, look, if you ask Nehemiah how's things going, he said, man, I got it made. I mean, as long as nobody puts poison in the soup, (laughs) I'm doing pretty good. But you know what? It bothers me that many others are not doing so well. So i got to do something about it. That goes to the third thing. You know, it's not enough just to see where you're at. It's not enough just to want things to be different. In fact, we could say this. There are many people who see where things are. There are many people who want things to be different. But if you stop right there, what do you call people like that? People who see things like they truly are, and they really want them to be different, but they don't do anything about it. Well, a whiner, (laughs) a complainer, a pessimist maybe. Is it too strong a word to say sometimes coward? We see where things are. We see that things could be different. We sense that God is calling us out of that. But you know what? There's got to be a part. There's got to be a point where we do our part to change it. Nehemiah was like that. Look at verse 11. I love this. Now, I stopped in the middle of verse 11 for a reason. It's kind of artificial, but I did for a reason because I think probably in the midst of Nehemiah's prayer, something happened. And he started in verse 11. He said, O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name, and make your servant successful today 
and grant him compassion before this man. Now, what's he talking about? Nehemiah is praying. And all of a sudden he says, and make your servant successful. Who's he talking about? And grant him compassion before what man? Oh, yeah, he tells you the next sentence. I forgot to tell y'all I was the cupbearer to the king. What happens to Nehemiah? You see, Nehemiah sees that there's something that needs to change. And there's an intense desire in his heart. God, I want to see that change. And you know something begins to happen in his heart. God, somebody needs to do something about that. I see that. I'm concerned about that. I'm praying about that. I'm upset about that. And then God begins to show him, okay, if you're so concerned about it, then why don't I just use you? <laughs> Some of you have heard me tell this story before, but about 10 years ago when God spoke to my heart about the Northeast, I was in a chapel service at the seminary that I was graduating from. And I remember it was on a Tuesday and we were just having our regular chapel and we had a special message that morning about praying about going to New Hampshire. Actually, at the time, our seminary was looking to start some churches in New Hampshire. Um, but God just put New York on our hearts. But anyway, uh, they said, hey, listen, if any of you guys would be willing to pray about going to New Hampshire and starting a church, would you come forward? And I said, well, anybody ought to be willing to pray about it. So I went forward. And then when I got down front, I turned around and I looked, and not everybody was willing to pray. Hey, wait a minute. I didn't know this was sign-up day. I mean, I wasn't like, you know, I was just saying I was willing to pray about it. You know, this wasn't like, I'm going. I'm not ready yet. Let's don't jump too far with this thing. I wonder if that's how Nehemiah was. God, I'm broken about it. It's terrible what's happening. Oh, you know what? I'm a pretty important dude around here. And you know what? I've got some pull. And I actually have the ear of the king. It's kind of dangerous, actually. I'm going to kind of have to think about that. But you know what, God? You've put this on my heart. And it may be for a reason. Because my life is in a position to possibly make a difference. You know, when God is doing something in Scripture, He usually raises up His servants. He raises up people to do it. And he usually uses what he's already given them, at least first, just like Nehemiah. Nehemiah was already in a position that God could use him to make a difference. Mark chapter 14, verse 8. Remember that lady that poured the perfume on Jesus' head? What did Jesus say about her? He said she has done what she what? What she could. You know what? Many of us tell Jesus no about what we can't do, right? But Jesus says, just give me what you can do. You can do what you can do, can't you? In Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, Moses. God calls Moses to lead potentially millions of people out of Egypt. And Moses says, God, I'm a, I'm a criminal on the run. I've just been a shepherd for all these years. And God says, what, what's that thing you got in your hand? What's the staff? He says, that's good. I'll use that. Will you give me your staff? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 38, you remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 men and their families? Uh, they, they only counted the men that day, but there could have been as many as 10,000, maybe 15,000 people with their families, with their wives, with their children. And Jesus said to the disciples, what did he say to them? How many loaves, how much bread do you have? What did he say? Bring that to me. And then what did he do? 
He does what He does. He multiplied it. Let me talk about our church family for just a minute. God has done some really neat things in our church family. But you know what? As best I can tell, most, if not all of that, has been done through people. People just like you, people just like me. Weak people, wounded people, people who don't have much to offer in their own eyes at least, but God taking our little and making that much. I want you to just, if you were just to truly have a moment with your Bible study teacher this week, if you're in a Bible study here, I pray that you are. If you were to ask them, do you feel adequate for this? Don't you get nervous about this? I mean, isn't it kind of hard to do this? They might say, yeah, pray for me. How many of you youth leaders go every uh, Sunday night to youth group and think, God, I can't do this. I, I don't want anybody's kids listening to anything I have to say about anything. God, I'm inadequate for this. But God, would you just please use me? Every step of this church family's history, I'm going to be honest with you, I felt inadequate to be your pastor, including whatever God has for us ahead. But God keeps telling me to do it, and so I'm just going to keep trusting Him. Amen? I believe with all of my heart that this church's best days are ahead. But if they are, it's not because somebody else will get engaged, it's because you will. I'm going to make you a promise right now. If you don't connect, if you don't get engaged, if you don't invest in what God is calling you to be a part of in this world, yes, God wants to work in your life. Yes, God wants to change your life. But an intricate part of that is you getting involved in God's bigger picture and what He's doing. If you don't do that, it's going to come up short for you. It's not going to be enough for you. If I could just put it like this, I thank God if today's your first day here in church, but I want to encourage you to move forward. To ask God, Lord, how would you have me to connect with that? How would you have me to get involved? How would you have me to, to grow? How would you have me to be around other people? Because that is critical in order for you to experience God's purpose for your life. Otherwise, it's going to come up empty. We've got to see where we're at. We've got to want it to be different. And we've got to say to God, God, okay, I don't have much. But what I have, I'll give to you. Would you just use that? Well, what were the results in Nehemiah's story? If you read the rest of the story, you'll see where all this led. There was a lot, I'm not going to kid you, there was a lot of work ahead for Nehemiah. He had months of travel just to get there, and then he had a couple of months' work after he got there. That was assembling the crew, getting all the supplies, getting all the people together, working through all the obstacles. And speaking of obstacles, there wasn't just obstacles, there was opposition. There was opposition from the outside, and God forbid, there was opposition from the inside. But you can mark it down. When God is working, there will always be opposition. And sometimes we take that as interpersonal, but the book of Ephesians that we've been studying together says that it's not between us. There's a spiritual battle. The enemy hates what we're doing, and he wants to do everything he can to trip us up on the way. But the end result for Nehemiah was amazing victory. It was miraculous what happened. The wall was rebuilt, I believe it was 52 days. The wall was rebuilt. Unbelievable. Hadn't been done in 150 years. 52 days. With a God-called man, he said, God, I'll just use what you've given me. And other people gathering around that person, joining in that work together, they did it. I want to ask you a question. Will you go with us? Will you partner together with us? Is God changing your life? And I use that wording intentionally. God has changed my life, but I have to say He's changing it still. 
I've come to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I know if I drop dead right now, I'd go straight to heaven because of what Christ has done for me, because I put my trust in Him. But I want to tell you something, I'm not done yet. God is changing me, and He's doing that as I'm involved in the work of us serving the Lord together. But you know what? In the process of Him changing me, there's a whole other group of people in this world that have not experienced what you've experienced yet. Are you willing to share it with them? Are you willing to share your experiences with them? Are you willing to grow together with them? Are you willing for them to challenge you? Are you willing to challenge them? Are you willing to help them? Are you willing for them to help you? That's called partners, isn't it? That's called fellowship. Nehemiah needed partners, and I'm asking you to be partners together with us today. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. I'm going to ask you to do something. Listen, to be honest with you, I have to be careful about things like this because I'm a cynical kind of person. I'm not the kind of person that would come forward in a service many times because I think, well, I'm just doing it for show or, or somebody will think I'm doing it for show. And so sometimes I lean away from doing things like that. But you know what? I don't want to cut somebody short from being able to do something symbolic in your relationship with the Lord. And this is what I mean. I want to challenge you. If God is speaking to your heart, we are at a strategic point in our church. I believe God's calling us to a new day. I want to challenge you this morning. This is not for anybody else. This is between you and God. If God puts it on your heart, I want to challenge you to come forward and just to kneel before the Lord here up front, just before the cross, just Him, not me, not anybody else. Everybody's heads are going to be bowed, eyes closed, just between you and God saying, God, sign me up. Amen? I'm ready to go. You say, well, for what? Sign me up for what? I don't know. That's part of the reason I'm sharing this message today. Uh, somebody made me nervous right before I went on their vision retreat. They said, man, I can't wait for you to get back, you know, just kind of hear what God's going to say to you. I was like, I can't handle that pressure, you know. I'm not like going to the mountain for tablets or nothing. You know, I'm, just, I'm just going to see. So I'm not here to say, you know, here it is. I'm here to say God has spoken. I truly believe he's spoken to my heart. And I'm going to be sharing some of those things with you, but I'm asking you to enter into that with me. And one of the most critical things is going to be in a couple weeks on November 7th, we're going to have a night of seeking God. I'm going to share some specific things with you that I believe God wants us to be praying about, seeking His direction. Church family, what did Nehemiah do? When God spoke to his heart, what did he do? He went to his knees. Dear God, would you help us? Amen? Would you help us? And then God, how would you use me? This morning, I want to ask you, if God's put on your heart just to come on your knee, you can do that right where you stand if you want. You don't have to feel bad if you stay in your seat. But if God's put on your heart just to get on your knees before Him and say, God, I want to make a move today. I'm signing up. Whatever it is, I want to be a partner together with you and moving forward in our church family. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, Robbie, I appreciate what God's doing in this church family, but really today, God's doing a work in my heart personally. I, I need a new day. I need a new beginning. I need a fresh start. Maybe you've been a Christian for years and God's just calling you to a fresh place and you can't take that for granted. He's brought you to this place today for a reason, to hear this message. Maybe God's speaking to your heart about drawing a line in the sand. God, I don't even know where we're going, but you sp- I see where I'm at today for the first time in years maybe. God, I don't like it. I want it to change. And with all of my heart, I give myself to you today for that fresh start. Maybe you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Friend, that is where it all starts 
It cannot go until you beyond that point, until you receive Christ, until you enter into a relationship with God by having your sins forgiven and Christ come into your life and changing your heart and making it like His own and living in your life. So if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, you can just say, God, that's what I want. That's what I need. I know it is. I don't know why it's taking me so long to see it, but today I give my life to you, Jesus. I believe you died for me. I receive your gift from me, and I ask you to come into my life and change my heart and make me your child. Whatever it is today, as we sing this song in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to respond.